Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. And today we're continuing our series called Letters to the Church, um, which is walking through the beginning portion of the book of Revelation. And now maybe um, you're like me, and you have had a hard experience with this book. And for me, just some of the complications with it, I was a little kid when Left Behind came out, and like it's a movie about how people just disappear and their pants are in the seat, and you're like, what in the world happened? Um, or in college, I was intrigued, and I took a class on Revelation, and we never even touched the book. My professor just talked about aliens coming back and capturing us for an entire semester. And so this book to me has been like, what in the world do I do with it? And so part of this is just me to kind of learn and walk through it, but I also think that in the portion that we're studying and walking through is applicable for us today. Again, we, we say this often that the Bible isn't written to us, but it's written for us. And so even as we enter into this, again, it may not be specifically how the world is gonna happen today, but there are things that we can learn to apply to it. And within Revelation, we see a context between these two things, one of encouragement and then one of confrontation. And so in this letter, Jesus is giving a revelation to John to share with the seven churches at the time. And in the letters, again, you see these two things at contrast, encouragement and confrontation. Encouragement, keep living for God, keep doing the things that you need to, confrontation, speaking up when they get off track. Some of us, depending on the time period that you grew up, may only know the God of confrontation, or others of you may only know like the God of grace, and we need both of them. If all you ever hear is grace, you will often wander off and do things that were never intended by God for you to do. But then if you only know confrontation, you probably think God is mean and unloving, and that you just try and do whatever you can to avoid him being angry at you. We need both of these. And so John, is carrying these words from Jesus to the seven churches. And within this letter, there are three different kinds of literature at work. One is prophetic literature. This means it's a picture of the future, but more so it's a picture of who holds the future. And so the prophecy here is, again, um, there is a battle going on between good and evil, God and, and Satan, but Jesus holds the future. This should encourage us. And oftentimes, as it talks about Jesus in this, it, it talks about his shoes of bronze and his eyes of blazing fire. These are all to point us to the fact that Jesus holds all authority. No matter what we face, we follow the one who holds everything in his hands. This book is also apocalyptic. And what that word means, is it, it unveils something. When you go to a play and the curtain comes up, it unveils what is gonna happen through that play. This book is meant to unveil to us, again, that there is a source of evil in this world. And it works behind the scenes to try and kill and destroy and take from us everything that God has for us. But it also, again, unveils the very real presence of God that he is with us. And then it's also resistance literature. Resist the values of the empire and live for Jesus. Well, one of the authors, uh, and it's a great book, I encourage you to read it as we walk through this, called Revelation for the Rest of Us, and he talks about this being the tension in this book as John is writing it. There's too much Rome in the church and not enough church in Rome. 
And even that context, walking into these seven letters, again, I think it's a timely message for us today. Imagine this. You can see the script of your life. You see everything that's going to happen, the good, the bad, the pain, the joys. And you have five minutes to erase everything that you want to from your life. What would you erase? Most of us, we would erase all the hard things and the pain that is ahead of us. But today I want to ask the question, if we never knew failure or suffering, is it good for us? And even as I ask that question, again, hear my heart, like I know that even in our church right now, there are some of us who are going through things significant. And it makes sense that we would want to erase everything hard from our lives. It's very easy to organize our lives to avoid hard things. This week, I tried very hard to do this myself, and let me just say this is a light, kind of calm, joke-type thing to ease the tension a little bit. I know, again, this is not insane, but at Pop-Up Sunday, I was helping move chairs. I threw out my back, and so like I have these shocks going up and down my legs and into my neck. It hurts. And so when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I see is my daughter going like this for me to hold her and take her on like a mile walk around the block. So this week, I tried to avoid my daughter at all costs when I woke up. I would like wake up and run to the bathroom and she would be doing this and I'm like, I don't see anything because I'm trying to avoid suffering. The pain that I knew if I carried her for a mile, I would get back to my house, my legs are numb, my arms are numb, I'm in pain. We do the same thing. The first sign of hardship in our life, we often run from them. In the United States right now, again, happiness is one of the highest and most important things that we value as a culture. And so if happiness is what's most important, when difficulty comes, we often numb ourselves to those. Alcohol, drugs, binging Netflix, we fill in, but we all try to avoid hardship. The reality is, though, no matter what amount of maneuvering you may do, nothing is going to keep you from suffering. Maybe you're in that season now. Maybe it's right around the corner. But today as we read this letter, this is Jesus' encouragement to us who may be in that season. And again, if we're not, tuck this away because at some point we will get to a moment of life that is difficult. Today as we take a look at the church of Smyrna, these words are for a church that is experiencing suffering and pain. Some things about this town as we head into it. They were a wealthy town. They had a thriving economy. It was a beautiful city. In fact, they claimed to be the glory of Asia. They were essentially saying, look at how incredible we are. It was a great trade city, which is why they were rich. Um, lots of things would flow through there, and people were making money off of them. They also had a very interesting part as well. Essentially, they had unions, and so like, you had to be part of unions in order to make money on the things being traded, um, which is what we'll get to in a moment of why the Christians were suffering and being persecuted there, but the unions were rich. But it was also a city deeply committed to the idolatry of the worship of the Roman emperor. In 196 BC, Smyrna built the first temple to the goddess of Rome. And this was a spiritual symbol of the Roman Empire, and they would worship Rome and its leaders in these temples. Smyrna won the privilege to build the first temple ever to worship the emperor within the empire. And the Roman emperor, um, Demo, Demo, Oh man, Domitian, there we go, was the first to demand worship under the title Lord. 
And so now we're beginning to see the leader of Rome being attached to the Lord. And that's an important word. Lord, again, is who I submit to, who I give my life to. And so the Christians then would have to um, burn incense and say Caesar is Lord. And the fact that they wouldn't go to this temple and do this or be part of trade unions um, where they would have to give up some of who they are and what they believe to be part of them because of that poverty was hitting the church. So you're living in a town that's incredibly wealthy and rich, and yet the Christians here are poor. But to them, they knew poverty because they were robbed and fired from jobs because they weren't willing to bow to Rome. And so it's with that context that we read the letter here in Romans 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. All right, let's unpack this a little. One, again, interesting notes here is last time when we talked about it, uh, again, the idea of encouragement and confrontation in five of the seven letters, we saw both of these things exist where Jesus would encourage the church and then he would confront them. In this church, there's only encouragement. Nowhere does he come around and confront them at all. And I think that this speaks to something important. You're going through it, and you're suffering. And what Jesus says is, I see you, I'm with you, and there is life beyond this. Jesus doesn't pile on. He doesn't say the reason you don't have a job is that you don't go to church. He doesn't say the reason you're losing things is because you're not following God correctly. He just offers encouragement. And even in that, let's just step back, and this is Frank's words, not anywhere in this, but I think sometimes, as a church, capital C, American Western Church, people are suffering, and they're going through it, and one of the first things we do is offer words of confrontation. And we say things like, you're going through this because. And if Jesus doesn't do that here, he speaks encouragement. Perhaps this is something important that we can learn as the American church. Why do we feel the need to pile on to those who are going through things? And why instead don't we get down with them where they're at and show them how loved they are and encourage them? All right, now some of the things that scholars do say are in here. First off, I am. Jesus is revealing who he is. And it's important, again, to know that in this context of, of, be, of deciding who is Lord of your life, is it the Roman Empire or is it Jesus, he's revealing who he is. He's the first and he's the last. He's dead and he's now alive. Why does that matter? It makes me think of Jesus' words earlier in John 16 where he says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has overcome this world already. And no matter what we may face here, on the other side, we will be with the one who we were created to be with forever. He's reminding the church here that there is somebody powerful in their corner. The one who conquered death, the one who rose again, is the one who is with them. There is pain and suffering in that church of Smyrna. And there is pain and there is suffering in our church today as well. But hear these words today. Jesus says, I am. I am present. I am the one who can do anything. I am the one who has overcome this world. I am the one that you can trust. I am the one who, if you keep your eyes fixed on me, bring life. Today, some of you need to hear those words, I am. And you might be in the midst of a season of difficulty and struggle. And one of the first things that our minds do in those seasons is we begin to think that God isn't present, that he's forgotten us. Today, he is the I am, the first and the last, the one with eyes of blazing fire, the one with all authority and who holds the world in his hands because he has overcome it. The second thing Jesus says, he says, I know. I see your suffering. I see your poverty. And the word for suffering here means crushing, which means you, you feel weight. You're under a burden that is crushing. That's what this word suffering means here. And if you've been there, you understand that weight. When you feel like you're carrying burdens around on your back and they feel like they're weighing you down. And by Jesus saying, I know, I, th I think he, again, is saying something important here. And because he isn't just saying, I know about your pain. He isn't just saying, like, wow, I was scrolling through social media and I saw your post. Wow, things are bad. Like, I know. And in our modern context, that this distinction matters because we've gotten very good at, like, knowing about people's pain and all of the things going on in our world, and it's just like, I know, but nothing happens. And so we begin to think that maybe God knows, but he's distant and he doesn't care. In our modern context, again, knowing is almost kind of like virtue signaling. We all post about the suffering of others, and we all do nothing collectively. But Jesus, I know, carries a different weight than that. His I know says, I have been where you are. I know what you're experiencing, and I am with you. And it's why the humanity of Jesus is so important, because he lived the very life that we did. He experienced the things that we did. Loss of friends. Death. And he is able then to get in the ground and say, I know. He can empathize and sympathize with us. And this matters. Why in Matthew 11 we read this. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The world may be crushing. The weight may be heavy. 
but Jesus knows, and he doesn't just know, but he offers a solution. It's rest for our souls, the ability to be still and to know God. Today, again, whatever weight that you're carrying, Jesus will carry it alongside it. He will bear that burden with you, and in it is rest. And this rest, again, isn't avoiding pain. It's not numbing it. It's not hoping that it will go away. And it it is, again, a promise that God will go with us and carry it. But if you're like me, the prayer often isn't, Jesus, give me rest and carry this with me. It's Jesus, take it all away. I would prefer if you just made all of this go away and like life would go back to how it used to be. And I think sometimes with our minds within that that mindset, we miss the promise of God. We're praying, God, take it away. And God's saying, hey, let me carry that for you. Let me give you rest. Let me show you who I am through this. Again, it's letting go and allowing the one who is the first, the last, who conquered death, to walk alongside of us. If Jesus has that kind of authority, why do we feel the need to often go through in our own authority? And the last promise here is, I will give. And Jesus promises that he'll give us the crown of life. We will live forever. And this is the greatest hope that we have in knowing Jesus. Regardless of what we face on this side of eternity, we know that one day he will give us a crown. And that will outweigh any hardship that we go through. And even as I say that, I'm not saying that our pain and our suffering isn't valid. Again, it is. But the hope that we have beyond that is so much greater. And oftentimes, we get our eyes so fixed on the things that we're going through here and now. And if we would just lift our eyes a little bit to the hope that we do have, it would give us a different perspective. In the midst of suffering, Jesus says, I am. I've conquered this world. He knows. He's empathetic. And he gives us life forever. So then... How do I suffer well when we avoid pain at all costs, which often results in us hiding and isolated and somewhat miserable as we're rotting on the inside? We build our lives around avoiding honesty. No one needs to see who I really am. And again, in our current context, we have something that makes it easier than ever to do that. I post all these things to make it look like I'm fine and I'm okay, but on the inside, I'm falling apart. How do I remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of suffering? In the book of Psalms, this isn't even the first question. We often look at suffering, we're like, okay, what do you want me to learn so I can pass the test and move on? Right? Okay, this stinks. I get it. Like, teach me what you want to teach me. Let's move to the next thing. But this, again, is us trying to control our suffering. God, tell me what I need to know. Let's move on. You can fix this. Make everything better. But in Psalms, we see the first prayer is often, Lord, come to my aid. Rescue me. Deliver me 
but most of all, be with me. In the season that I'm walking in, Jesus, I want your presence most. One of the things Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And in our modern context and culture, we have this backwards. When we see suffering, when we see hardship, we don't think that person is rich. Who do we think is rich? The people with the nice cars, nice houses. And honestly, that's what we're all trying to get to. That's the American dream. But Jesus is flipping it upside down. And he's actually going to call out a church later in Revelation for that. When he calls them rich but poor. The church in Smyrna is experiencing suffering. They don't get a reprieve. They don't get to go on a fancy vacation. They don't have a beautiful home to disappear and hide in. They don't even have the resources to make it better. But Jesus reframes the situation. Again, I know you are poor, but you are rich. Again, this doesn't make sense to our minds. In a day where we look for comfort being what is most important to us, how can I be going through something difficult and hard, and yet Jesus looks at me and tells me I'm rich? Again, in Revelation 3, he would say this, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. We are living something more than what the world tells us. Today, hold on to your faith. Hold on tightly to Jesus. Would nothing take away your crown? There is nothing worth it on this side of heaven that is worth not being with Jesus forever. How do I know that? Again, Genesis 1. I was created to be with God. And it's in that narrative and in that context where humanity is fully alive. You are poor, but you are rich. Again, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense to our minds. And he's not saying, don't help those in need. He's not saying, see people's poverty and do nothing. But he is saying, for those of you who are in the midst of suffering, you are rich. And I think this is why. It is often in our suffering and in our pain where Jesus is most real to us. I don't know about you, but there have been dark periods of my life. I've been wrestling with how vulnerable to be with this part, but I'm going to go for it. I think it's important. Out of college, I was working with my family in construction. I watched my cousin cut off all five of his fingers on a table saw. And from there, it would lead to a battle with painkillers, difficulty, and would ultimately result in him passing. And like, this wasn't just a normal dude. This was a dude who I watched drive a van into Trenton four times a week and pick up kids and bring them to the church and youth group and love on them. And for those of you here who were part of my youth group, you saw that happen, that's, that's who I learned it from. And as I'm watching that happen, every question in my mind goes, why would that happen? Look at how 
much he is doing for the kingdom. And yet in every moment of wrestling with that, Jesus would reveal himself to me. And even today, like, I'm not standing up here because life has been good, and it's like it's easy to talk about Jesus, but it's because when I'm in the turret and I have no idea where to go or what to think, it's where Jesus meets me. And that's the incredible promise that Jesus is reminding the church of Smyrna here. Look, you may have everything taken away from you, but I will be with you in the midst of I haven't left you. I haven't forgotten you. I am present, and I will give you everything that you need for today. And if today ends, and it doesn't even go well, there's a promise that you will be with me forever. And in our American minds, that promise often sounds so shallow, and yet you look at the early church, and that promise was enough to be burned alive and to be stoned and killed. To them, it was enough. That was the power of the gospel at work in their lives. Today, we need to know that reality in our lives. God uses our suffering to draw us to him and to shape us into his image. And that is where we are rich. In the deepest moments of my own pain, I've experienced God unlike any other time in my life. And even this week, or it's a couple weeks ago now, I had a conversation with my aunt-in-law um, that sounds weird to say, but it's what she is. And uh, we were at a memorial, and I was just hearing her story. I haven't gotten to connect with her much. Um, and her story was this. She was expecting her second kid. Her marriage was falling apart. She had gone to church her whole life. And God was never real to her. But as she's caring for her one kid alone, and her husband is off doing whatever, God met her in that moment. And for the first time, his presence became real, and it changed everything for her. And as I was preparing this and I heard that story, I thought it was fitting because that, again, is the grace of Jesus. Do any of us want to suffer? Of course not. Do any of us want to see people we care about suffer? No. But the reality is, whether you follow Jesus or not, it's a reality of our world, and Jesus will meet us in the midst of us. Why am I going through this? Is it possible that God is allowing it to happen because he wants to reveal himself to you in a way that you don't know him yet? And you'll experience him in a way that you never have before. And perhaps this will shake up your routine and comfort, and it will draw you back into intimacy with God once again. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And again, this isn't to scare you, it's to give you comfort. And when Jesus says in 10 days it will end, it's not a literal 10 days. Most scholars, again, agree that it's not like, all right, suffering happens, just wait 10 days and it's over. But what Jesus is saying is, suffering has a time. You may be in the midst of it right now, but it will not go on forever. At some point, suffering will end. And as a church, in a few moments, we're going to respond in prayer, and we are going to pray alongside of you and believe that that time of suffering will end now, that Jesus will intervene and he will do something incredible because we believe that he can do that. But if not, someday our suffering will end when we trade it for a crown. We are present with the one who we were created to be.
when I was little, uh, you know, you go to the doctors once a year for your physical and most likely shots. Um, the question every kid asks on the, way to on the way to the doctor for that appointment is, will I get a shot? Now, my parents were smart. They knew that if they said yes, I would not want to go. And so they would often say things like, we'll see, maybe not. But then you get to the doctors, and I don't know about how yours work, but like there would be this room where you went in, and that's where the shots happen. And so I walk in. I've been told no. I'm like, life is good this year, no shots. And then I get in the room, and I'm like, dang, here we go. We don't like pain. We do everything we can to avoid it. Will there be pain? Probably. But it will end. Ten days. There's an end. There is a time limit to our suffering. To be human is to experience pain. But there's an expiration date. Don't be afraid. He isn't saying don't feel your fears. Don't feel the pain. But he is saying, keep your eyes fixed on me, the one who sees all and knows. And he's saying, be faithful. And this would be my urge to those of you who maybe you're in a season of that right now. Be faithful. Don't give up. Keep going. We are so quick to give up when life gets hard. And when the questions begin, and hardship comes, one of the first things that we begin to do is retreat. And that can look all different ways. For some of us, our, our retreat is like we still maybe pop into church here and there, and we do some of the things we used to do, and that's okay. And some of us is a complete retreat from faith altogether. Today, if you've been through a season of suffering, and maybe you've taken a retreat or some steps back this week, maybe would you ask God to see what he would have for you? Being faithful is sticking with God when everything in us says, run. Today, if you feel like running, my prayer would be that you would again turn back to God and you would let his presence speak to you where you're at. So today as we close, just some things to think through this week. Again, if you're here, maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus before, I want to say Jesus is the suffering servant. We sang about it a little bit earlier. But he's the one who took on the pain of the world so that we could have life. He suffered so that when we were in the midst of ours, we could turn to him and turn to somebody who's been there. I don't know about you. Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves in life is when people try and tell me to do something and they haven't been there themselves. And they have all, and I was guilty of this, like for a while I would look at parents and be like, hey, why are you parenting that way? That doesn't make sense. And now that I am, I'm like, yeah, you get a little TV because I need some peace and quiet. Um, and all of the things I judge people for, I'm like, here, have it. Jesus is the suffering servant. The one who came into the very life that we live to know where we are. He's not a far off and distant God, but he is personal. And he is with us. For those of us who do follow Jesus, today I just want to encourage you with this, that faith is often the wavering between these two things. Is God real? This is hard. And I've experienced the depth of who he is, and I know without a doubt he is. And that's the reality of our faith. 
And today, maybe you're on the one of like, hey, is God real? I want to say this is a church that has space for you. And we would love to walk alongside of you and to help you figure that out and even just pray together. Sometimes there's no words. But would you give yourself grace in the wrestling? Because it's in the wrestling that God shows himself. I also want to say, if you're in a season of suffering and difficulty, I would just like to throw a little reminder in there. You need other people to remain faithful. You need other people to walk alongside of you, to remind you of who God is. And let me tell you, you don't want to hear this stuff when you're there. I get it. I'll never forget that my family went through a loss and I was with my youth pastor and he said something and I looked at him and I'm like, I want to punch you in the face for saying that. But you're right, I hear that. But we need those people in our lives. Don't walk this journey alone. Sometimes you're in service and you have nothing left to sing and that's why other people's singing reminds you again that there is a reason to sing. We need each other. Also want to remind you, Jesus is victorious. There's no need to fear because Jesus has overcome this world. He is for us and he loves us. But would we be faithful? There is a crown waiting for us and the thing that determines whether or not we get it is, are we faithful? And so this week, is there an area where maybe, again, you have drifted and maybe fallen away and you need to recommit or repent or turn back to God and say, I need you? And Jesus says, I am. I know. Stick with me. Don't give up. I see where you're at. I care. I'm with you. I am present. Some of you have been in Smyrna this week of pain and suffering. And maybe it's not your own. Maybe it's people you care about and you're carrying the burden with them. Today, again, Jesus is the one who carries our burdens when we cast it on him. Will we not hold on to control and try and do it ourselves? And lastly, Jesus didn't have a single word of correction for the church in Smyrna. Maybe today you're suffering. And maybe a Christian has said something really insensitive to you. Hey, you're, you're where you are because of something you did, or you know the lines we all say to people when they're hurting. Jesus today has words of encouragement for you. And most of all, he has his presence. We don't control what happens here. Let me tell you, that bothers me. I like control. I like everything to go the way that I want it to, and the fact that it doesn't really bugs me. but I do know who controls the world and who is present. And I do control my response to it. In the midst of suffering, will I remain faithful or will I run? Today, my prayer is that this would be a church marked by faithfulness. Storms are coming, whether we want them to or not. Hardships are around the corner, but how we respond shows people what we believe to be true about God. In the early church, they believed this to be so true that they counted suffering joy. They were pumped when it happened. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm at least learning that God is present in the midst of difficulties and that his presence is sometimes all that I need.
And today, just a moment to respond as a team leads us in a song. Maybe you're in a season of difficulty and hardship. We'll have some of our staff up here. We would love to pray with you today. Maybe nothing's going on with your life in terms of what we talked about and you have something to pray about. We'd love to pray with you still. Uh, Again, we're a church that believes prayer matters and it makes a difference. And so, again, some of our staff will be up here and we would love to pray with you. Or, hey, maybe life is good. We're just going to stand together and sing a song about who God is and and the truth of who he is. And so just want to invite you to stand with us today as we respond. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.